Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This another episode of the Riddle World Football Podcast. My name, as always, Josh Norris, here joined by John Daigle and Ian Harditz. Gentlemen, have not seen you each in a week. Ian, how's life up there? You know, it's not bad, Josh. I will say, though, I don't know if I pinched a nerve in my neck or what it is, but I've been at about 60% mobility with my neck the last few days. So, you know, when you need to turn your entire body towards whatever you want to look at, you, you kind of learn to appreciate the small things in life. So, while I'm in pain, I'm also more spiritually aware. <laughs> Daigle, I mean, there have been many, many months, and Ian, you might want to mute your earphones for this, where Ian has gotten upset with us over the year that we've all been together, a happy family, that we talk about age, you know, and, and how the, the development is different from when, you know, the age gaps that we have. This might be Ian's first step, his first foray, into growing older like you and I are, John Dick. This is his Xavier Rhodes moment. It just, it just, <laughs> yeah, just, it fast, just goes away overnight. Just a complete, I love that, a complete sharp decline immediately. You've hit the peak, the cliff of your career already, Ian. Daigle and I have already accepted it. Like, we, we're on I the downslope already. I just bit on that double move by Darius Slayton, and now I'm watching this rookie, this know-nothing rookie just score on me. It's rough. I'm, I'm still rehabbing the neck injury from September I dealt with all season. So, like, I'm kind of worried about you now. I'm not, I'm not ready to admit defeat yet. I got a good couple neck cracks in this morning. Things are looking better than they were two days ago, but I'm a little bit humbled today. I must be honest with you guys. Dago, how many months passed before you actually got professional help on your neck injury? Oh, well, it built up, remember, for like three or four months. I kept on coming to the studios and complaining. Uh, and here we are today. But I'll be golfing for the first time since everything's now slowly reopening. I think I'll be isolating myself on the course in June. So here in a couple of weeks for the first time. So that's when we're really going to see how this is shaken. Because I'm either going to have a setback playing or we're going to be home free. What, what are you aiming for? What's reasonable for John Daigle? And I, I mean, you know, just sitting here, I would expect a little over-exaggeration than probably the realistic approach that's going to happen. But what, what are you aiming for here? For my neck or for trying to break 90? Yeah, trying to break 90. Is that, is that Oh, a golf score? Oh, yeah. No, I'm terrible. I'm awful. Yeah. It's all about nice. just going to the mountains and escaping through there because uh, we're still working, buddy. We still, we're still working. That fairway game is not good. I, well, we're still working here on football stuff. I mean – it is basically our deadline for draft guide columns and content. And there are some, uh, you know, late nights for us, some people, including myself, who like to wait until the last minute. And so it's fun. We're doing 
you know, some interesting things for the draft guide this year. And in fact, I would say um, today's podcast focuses on that a little bit. Before we get into that, I do want to mention that it kind of seems like we are hurtling towards an actual NFL offseason coming up. Mm -hmm. Right before the podcast started, Charles Robinson put out this report that it sounds like either June 15th or June 27th is when mini camps are going to open up. It kind of depends on California's laws and when they open up everything for um, professional sporting activities. But Ian, that is from where we were a month or two ago, almost a shocking development that we might have almost to as close to a, uh, you know, use the, the kind of NFL offseason we are used to in the past. Well, yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, I've been doing these best ball drafts every Friday with John Daigle on the Rotor World Twitch channel. We've more or less been staying away from rookie wide receivers this entire time because look at the situation. We are, you know, doing this. We expected no one to be kind of getting these early July, August reps with their quarterbacks like they are in a normal offseason. So now that we are starting to get back to normal, maybe we can start to expect, you know, regular rookie year production from these guys again. It's exciting. I mean, it's what we've always, you know, wanted to kind of happen, but to see us actually get this good news now, yeah, it's definitely encouraging. For the first time in forever, I actually have hope because it's not just the NFL. Like the NHL, by the time people are listening to this, will have unveiled their plan to return the year. The NBA, when so many people say it, you know what's going to happen. And it seems like everyone was pretty much told not to talk about how the season is going to return at Disney World in late July. And now so many people have said it, you know it's returning at Disney World in late July. So it just seems like everything is shooting to come back by the end of that month. All right, let's get into today's show. We know all of you out there, as much as we like to talk about, you know, draft strategies and people who we are avoiding and overrated, underrated and trends and how to build your team. I know all of you out there really just want to know who to draft at the end of the day. So I thought the best thing for us to do is every single month, June, July, and August, and we're counting this as a June episode, outline players that when we go into drafts, exactly we are targeting at cost, at their current ADP. And I think that that's important because I'm sure each one of us are going to select players from different tiers and different rounds and not just late rounders and early rounders, but maybe give you a spectrum of players that you can look at and target maybe yourselves. I have no idea what Ian's going to say. I have no idea what Daigle is going to say. We'll kick it off with Ian Harditz. I am fascinated to see which direction you're going to go of these players that we are targeting in every single draft that we enter. The first overall pick, Ian and the Bengals select Joe Burrow. Look, you look at the guys, but Burrow is currently being drafted against, and it's just a bunch of kind of, we know we're getting quarterbacks and run first offense. I mean, Tannehill, Drew Locke, Jimmy Garoppolo, Kirk Cousins, Phillip Rivers, just a bunch of guys that I think we know who they are at this point, maybe with the exception of, uh, you know, Locke in there. But anyway, since 2010, these are the only rookie QBs that have been fantasy QB1s. Cam Newton, Andrew Locke, Robert Griffin, Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson, and Kyler Murray. The similarities, all started in week one and all average at least 25 rushing yards per game in college. Joe Burrow literally checks both those boxes, 27 yards per game at LSU. I know the guy looks to pass first, but quietly went for over 700 yards in his two seasons at LSU. And considering, you know, college statistics, the sacks are pulling off rushing yards. Very impressive. And again, he's not Kyler. I don't think he's Cam in that category. But these guys like Andrew Luck, again, the historical rookie QBs have had success, have at least had a small rushing floor. I think Burrow has that. 
And then you look at the offense. Guys, I mean, this isn't the first time this offseason we've said There's weapons everywhere. A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd, John Ross, T. Higgins, Auden Tate, Joe Mixon, Giovanni Bernard. The O-line gets 2019 first-rounder Jonah Williams back. The offense is really talented. And Joe Burrow just had maybe the best season we've ever seen from a college quarterback. Like, okay, things might not work out. There's, you know, I've read issues with can he really throw outside the numbers, intermediate range, maybe iffy, but the defense is awful. There's no one that's going to take snaps away from Burrow. He's got the weapons, and he, again, he checks the boxes from what we see people thrive at the position. So you're not going to drop Burrow to be your starting QB in a one QB league. I get that, but when the guy's going in the QB 20 range, he's a great backup because he does have QB1 upside, and I think we're kind of just underrating that. I have questions about facing six combined games against the Browns, Steelers, and Ravens. But I will say something I used and a lot of players used last year was Warren Sharp's projected strength of schedule, which gives us a hint. Yes, it's going to change throughout the year, but at least gives us a hint for for the first month out the gates. And I will say right now, the Bengals are projected with the eighth easiest passing schedule overall. So at least there's that despite having that terrorizing a division of foes to face you mentioned it quarterback 19 right now that's just after the likes of Ben Roethlisberger and Ryan Tannehill who are you know certified quarterbacks in this league I mean what Ryan Tannehill did last year it's kind of shocking that he's not getting more top 12 quarterback love right now and you know if Ben Roethlisberger plays 16 games he'll most likely find himself in that top 12 quarterback area and he's going right before the likes of Drew Locke and and even Kirk Cousins and I think Joe Burrow's in a fascinating situation because you mentioned all the skill position players. You mentioned Zach Taylor, and he's someone who obviously came out of the Rams system, even though he didn't call plays there. But I always go back to the offensive line, you know, and I, I am just so nervous. The more I, I get into this, the more I realize that having a structure of an offense that you can count on week to week is so dependent on good offensive line play. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if the Bengals have the worst offensive line in the league this year, even if Jonah Williams, who was last year's first-round pick, does return to full health at left tackle. It's definitely a concern, but I just feel like knowing that we know that if with health, Burrow will start 16 games this year, I just think a lot of us would, you know, project at worst him to finish kind of in this low QB 20 range where he's already pretty much at. So I just think right now he's priced at the floor. I hear you. Just – the Bengals, I think their best case scenario this year is like 5-11 and 11 or 6-10. and 10. Like They're not right. going to be a good team. Could be an entertaining offense, which is all we need for Burroughs fans and stuff. So let me ask you this. And by the way, J.J. Zacharyson just posted a great episode of his late-round podcast that, you know, is the modern version of his late-round quarterback strategy. He, up, uh, he updates it a little bit. Um, you know, a lot of people in leagues, we talk about best ball all the time. A lot of people don't play best ball. They should because I think it's the perfect homework for your home league but if they're just in their standard office league 12 teams you're not confident enough though in joe burrow for him to exit as your first overall quarterback like completely punt the position let other people draft two quarterbacks before you even draft one i've done that before and i've had good results but i'm not sure if i'm willing to wait all the way to quarterback 19 here with burrow so yeah, I'll just say real quick, Dale, I'm going to throw this to you because while Dale and I were doing one of these best ball drafts, they got a really good stat that, you know, X percentage of quarterbacks in these winning leagues are usually drafted. They go between seven and nine? Uh, seven through 12. And yeah. that goes whether you go with a two-quarterback strategy or three-quarterback strategy. It's important if you go three quarterbacks, you don't wait for the bottom-tier guys. You stack another middle-tier guy. Hmm. 
So if you really wanted to go wait late and go Burrow and like Teddy or Minshew, that's a little too reckless for me. But getting someone in that seven, eight, nine range, you know, at the turn, Carson Wentz or someone like that, they feel a little better about. And then bringing it back with Burrow as your kind of souped up backup QB, that's what I'm thinking. Um, the Bengals open at home against the Chargers. So for season long leagues, if people are taking them as a potential streamer, it is kind of worrisome out the gates as well against that Chargers defense. Now they are hosting them, so that does help out a little bit, even though who knows what home field advantage will be if it's a fake Bundesliga crowds pumped into every stadium. So, um, but yeah, the Chargers aren't an ideal matchup for week one. I'll say that. Kind of like the fake Bundesliga crowds, Daigle, by the way. They're not now, doing it. They're not doing it in the stadium. They're only doing it on the broadcast. Uh, but that still takes away from Ian and I being team trash talking, right? <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, I was about to say, I, I think it works well for soccer games, just like I think UFC with no crowd noise at all is nice. You can hear the noises louder. So I think NFL, if they can get the on-field mics to pick things up, I would prefer that, but we'll see what happens. Wrestling just started surrounding the ring with other wrestlers as the crowd. So the coaching staff is that that could work if we just surround them on the sidelines and get them to cheer and boo. Well, we're talking kind of wrestling. Well, we're talking sports. Daigle, you know, no, not predetermined winners and losers. That's they were, what we're they were in about. a football. They were in Jacksonville Jaguar Stadium this past week, Josh. It was great. It, well, it's yeah, still because real, the it's still real to us, damn it. <laughs> uh, since you brought up his name, I'll go next, Daigle. Uh, I'm going to go with Carson Wentz. You know, he fits in that quarterback realm that is quarterback seven to quarterback 12 and might be this year's mid-round quarterback that springs teams to victory. And it doesn't have to be mid-round right now because he's going as the quarterback 11 or 12. And during this, I'm going to kind of sprinkle in some teases from our draft guide right now and where our overall ranks are and where some of mine are as well. Because right now, Carson Wentz is ranked much higher for us as, as quarterback seven. And I have him as the quarterback six or quarterback seven. And it comes down to this, right? Even last season, 2019, where the Eagles offense ended up throwing to wide receivers of the likes of Greg Ward, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, Robert Davis, and Deontay Burnett. Somehow, Carson Wentz still ended the season as quarterback 12. So with an upgrade of Deshaun Jackson coming back, an upgrade of Jalen Rager, you can throw in, if you want to, you know, Marquise Brown and a few other names that they brought in as well. We actually think he's going to be worse than he was in 2019. I absolutely don't think so. And we talk about this all the time. We talked about in the last episode with Pat that you should absolutely check out that the key to unlocking your fantasy drafts is finding that quarterback that's really outside the top eight, nine, or maybe even 10 that goes on to have an MVP campaign, right? 2019 Lamar Jackson, 2018 Patrick Mahomes. Guess what? Carson Wentz has already shown that he can do that. In 2017, he tied for the second highest fantasy points per game mark among quarterbacks. That was just a few years ago before suffering a season-ending knee injury. We've seen it before with Carson Wentz. And I think the stars are aligned for him to do it again. Not saying he's the favorite by any means, but Daigle, of those quarterbacks that are being drafted in that 8 to 12 mark, I absolutely am most confident in investing in him. He makes sense as the primary beneficiary of whomever breaks out among that group. Whether, as you said, be Jalen Rager, Sean Jackson, John Hightower, Marquise Goodwin, Alshon Jeffrey, perhaps, if he's healthy. On and on and on. The fact is, it's still Carson Wentz delivering the ball to any and all of them. Um, it doesn't work for best ball so much, but in season long, I think it's even viable to go Deshaun Jackson, Alshon Jeffrey late, and Rager and have all three, and then mm -hmm. you'll just end up dropping one after week one once they decide who the starters are. 
So yeah, no matter how you get pieces of this offense, I'm sure we'll talk about Miles Sanders, maybe not today, but as the months go along, I'd love, love this Eagles offense. Yeah, I'm just happy they've given themselves a little bit of depth. I mean, you know, they went out last year to try to get D-Jacks to give them a field stretcher. Obviously, he got hurt after week one, and they, and they had to go through. There's all those names that Josh mentioned with, you know, other than an AAF all-star Greg Ward, there just wasn't much there to throw to. And you look at the quarterbacks, and, yeah, you have your top seven that are just these dual-threat guys that, you know, say what you will about them in real life, but Lamar, Mahomes, Dak, Kyler, Deshaun, Russell, and Josh Allen. Mostly just Josh Allen, if you want to say something different about him in real life. The rest of those guys are great, but you got to pick all those guys for rushing upside. But no one else really has that below them in this range. So, yeah, for that reason, Josh, we've seen Wentz play at the MVP level recently. He has the best weapons he's had since he played at that level. And he already proved he can give you value if he, uh, you know, just manages to stay healthy. I know people want to throw out there, it's Wentz, he's injury prone. Come on. I believe his college injury was like falling off an ATV. Then he got freaking cheap shotted last year against the Seahawks. And before that, against the Rams, when he tore his ACL, he just tried to like to run over a linebacker around the goal line. Pretty fluky, and like a lot of guys, if you, the worst thing you can say about Wentz is, oh, he's not going to stay healthy, just, you know, look again and think about that value. It's wild to me. I don't think Carson Wentz gets the amount of respect he deserves across these national quarterback conversations. Still, I mean, I know he had questions entering the NFL. He was still the number two overall pick in the draft. And, like, immediately he was thrusted into MVP conversation. He, he won it basically in 2017 before that season-ending injury. Yet we are ranking him around, like, quarterback eight, quarterback ten in these, like, best quarterback discussions in the league. I, so much of it, year to year, has to do with supporting cast that is put but around you. And I think you outlined it perfectly, Ian, where this is the best he's had since that 2017 season. And I would say that it shows us the, the Eagles were honest to us last offseason with putting so many eggs in the single basket of Deshaun Jackson. And when he was on the field in that single game against the Redskins, I mean, he tore it up. All those returns that I had with him being, you know, my wide receiver four or five, we're going to pay huge dividends. Now this team understands that they still need that type of player. They still need that type of role for these quick passes or screens or whatever else Doug Pearson wants to run the line of scrimmage to work to their best effect. So you go out and get another player like that and Marquise Goodwin and more importantly in the first round of Jalen Rager. It is lined up perfectly for Carson Wentz to have a fantastic season. And going back to my point about Joe Burrow, possibly playing behind a top 10 offensive line in the league, that situation is set up for success this year. And it's such a small sample, but again, the one game, the season opener with Deshaun Jackson, his only game over eight yards per attempt and 25 fantasy points. Ian, do you agree that he's just, he doesn't get the same respect? Because like some of the throws he made last year down the stretch, three, four quarterbacks could do across the league. All it comes down to is people want to argue about Wentz versus Dak because they're, you know, yeah. Cowboys, Eagles. So I, I think with that, people want to prop up Dak. Hey, guess what, everyone? I think both guys are pretty awesome quarterbacks. So let's just, you know, give them a chance. <laughs> John Daigle, which player are you targeting in every single fantasy football draft this year? I usually prefer to give fishing poles, but I'll abide by the rules and give a fish. And that is, for me, I'm going to give you a late round rather than starting with the powerhouse, Chris Herndon currently going in the middle of the 11th round as the tight end 20, whereas I think Chris Herndon is this year's obvious Darren Waller at that position as a starting tight end, a tight end one overall. Last year was a disaster. 
There's no, no way around it. Four game suspension to start the year, lingering soft tissue injury with numerous setbacks, and then everyone knows the season-ending rib injury after 18 snaps in his only active game. But we know rookie tight ends historically struggle because they're essentially playing two positions. They have to play a big-bodied wide receiver as well as an offensive lineman, and there's so much to pick up in that first contract, let alone the first season. And yet, as a rookie from rookie Sam Darnold, Herndon totaled 500 yards and four touchdowns, 380 in all four scores, which actually came from Darnold in his healthy 13 games. And now the next knock against the offense as a whole is, oh, you can't succeed in an Adam Gase offense, yada, yada. I don't care. Uh, last year, Ryan Griffin, nine full games with Sam Darnold. In that stretch, he finished as the tight end overall seven before suffering that season-ending injury in week 14. So you can succeed in the Adam Gase offense, particularly at that tight end position. And we know Herndon is a better – we know he's a better player than Ryan Griffin. So I absolutely just love everything you hear coming out of – their uh, virtual camps and from the coach's mouth in general right now that Herndon will be an even bigger part of the offense this year. I think he's well on his way to a top eight to 10 season. Hmm. Hmm. That's a uh, important note because right now, Chris Herndon is going as the tight end 22. So, mm -hmm. I mean, he's one Daigle where you'll probably invest in him around that tight end 14 mark, completely forget about ADP because you think that he can be so much higher or do you just wait on that value that it presents itself and stay patient and hopefully land your guy? You could still draft him as the tight end 17 and 18 as value. I, I honestly, since March, I've been taking him as a 14 or 15 yeah. only because I thought I would lose value along the way, but he's not budging. So maybe I'm just wrong here, but nothing has changed my mind. Like nothing has happened at all. This guy is going to play that Ryan Griffin role on 95% of the team snaps as their primary receiving tight end. And like I said, he's better, has proven rapport with Donald and is explosive at that position and has already succeeded in only being in the league for two years. His, his ADP is so low because everyone's still so pissed about last season when we held him for the suspended games. And then he comes out and he pulls his hamstring like running routes on air. I mean, it was ridiculous, but it's not like the guy was out there in Adam Gase's scheme and just couldn't do anything. He just wasn't healthier. He wasn't available. And we're already seeing the beat reporters leak out reports saying, hey, you know, this guy could be pretty involved next year. Of course he could be. All they added was Brashad Perryman and Denzel Mims. Both of them could be great, but if they really thought they had a pro needed, you know, more tight end pass catching help, I think they would have added it. The fact he did anything as a rookie, let alone truly ball out, is just amazing because we never see rookie tight ends do anything. I mean, look, here are the guys since 2000 that average at least eight yards per target among rookie tight ends. Mark Andrews, Gronk, Hunter Henry, Herndon, Keith Miller, Aaron Hernandez, Noah Fant, Jordan Reed, Zach Ertz, and George Kittle. He's in an incredible class of guys. He did it with his quarterback, who's, you know, I think he's going to be 23 here in the next week or something like that. And, yeah, I know it's Adam Gase, but, hey, even the number one or number two options in Adam Gase offense can give us some semblance of fantasy success. Another tease in the draft guide, which you can pick up on newsstands later on this summer, he's our tight end 18. I believe Daigle and Ian are tied for the highest ranking of Chris Herndon, which is the tight end 17. I, I think this can be viewed as a positive. It can also – be viewed as a confusing part of this position this year. Like there are so many tight ends in his area that are viewed as potential big play, large potential, high ceiling 
players. And if you target one that you absolutely want and you are correct on that, we talk all the time about how it's comfortable selecting George Kittle and Travis Kelsey at the top of draft. After that, it gets a little more stressful. Then after that, it kind of is freeing to wait, especially if you land your guy and Daigle and Ian, it certainly sounds like Chris Herndon is that for both of you. I would take Chris Herndon outscoring Austin Hooper in a vacuum. All right. Austin Hooper going as the tight end 10. Put it on the board. Put it on the board. All right. This isn't an official lunch bet, though, because no one claimed it. So (laughs) we only have one lunch bet so far, and that's me, Robert Woods, over Pat's Cortland Sutton. Yes, it is. Uh, There is no snake draft today. Ian Harditz, you're up next. I'm going to cheat a little bit and do the fishing pole thing John was talking about. I want no, I want you. Them. I want you to reiterate it word for word. Whatever spiel and monologue Dago went on, that you okay. usually give out fishing <laughs> poles, but today I'm giving you a fish. Something like that. I um, want the Texans and Giants wide receivers. Any of them? All of them? Because all of these, none of these guys are going in the top thirty right now. We don't know who's going to be a number one wide receiver in Houston or the Giants. We have guesses. I think the Giants' order of guys you should want is Darius Slayton, Golden Tate, and Sterling Shepard. Texans, I take Fuller. Brandon Cooks, Randall Cobb, then Kenny Stills. Some of these guys are going to break out and become a number one wide receiver on these teams. Some of them will not. They will become the wide receiver three on their teams. All of them are being drafted as wide receiver threes currently. And look at this range of guys they're competing against. And it's like, okay, do you want Darius Slayton or Golden Tate, who could become the Giants' number one wide receiver, or might not, and they'll become the number two or three? Or do you want guys like Marvin Jones, Jerry Judy, John Brown, Emmanuel Sanders, Tyler Boyd? who their best case without an injury is they're going to be the team's number two and number three wide receiver. I think it's a very unique uh, circumstance in Houston and New York where, yeah, I wouldn't say rank these guys in the top 30. I get that. There is that uncertainty, and we got to you know take people we know are going to get those targets. But just the fact they have the chance to be a number one pass game option without an injury occurring, I think makes them huge values all the way around in the 30s and 40s. So since we are doing multiple of these episodes for the rest of the summer, And since for graphic purposes, am I allowed as a host, you're putting me in a difficult spot here. Can I ask you to pick just one name, one name of those six or seven receivers that you just mentioned for us to identify as the target? I'll go with the most expensive one. Will Fuller is the wide receiver 35 right now. And we know he can do so much more. And yes, Deshaun Watson, his splits have fallen off without, you know, Will Fuller on the field, but Let's remember these offenses. They had Hopkins and Will Fuller. That was pretty much it for years. Now, look, I, I wish they still had Hopkins too, but having Fuller, Stills, Cobb, David, Duke, Fells, Akins. Watson is, in my mind, a top five quarterback in this league. Losing Hopkins sucks, I know. But the fact their defense is so bad, like they're going to have to throw the ball. And all this is true to a lesser extent with Daniel Jones and the Giants. And I think we need to embrace the uncertainty, especially because as we all do these drafts, we're talking more and more starting running back, running back, running back is becoming a real big strategy. And when you do that, you're going to have to try to find some high-end pass catchers later in the draft. So again, being riskier with these wide receivers, you don't even really have to be risky because their floor is what they're being drafted at and their ceiling is so much higher. NFL Network's James Palmer recently put out a long reported piece just Tuesday morning, actually. And it was on Tim Kelly's offense. And what it sounded like through the first initial read was that they're just going to be looking to spread the ball out more. Um, And they knew they fell victim to basically letting DeAndre Hopkins carry them, and rightfully so, for so many games throughout his career. But now they have a number of heads for 
whatever you think they are, right? Like we know Will Fuller's battle with injuries. We know Brandon Cook's had injury history. Uh, we know Randall Cobb definitely fell off the radar with the Cowboys last year. So uh, it's a bunch of names. Who knows what this offense will become? But yes, as Ian said, at the very least, they have Deshaun Watson, a magician under center. And that's kind of what this offense falls back on. Yeah, rarely do you have a team that keeps the same starting quarterback for so many years, the same head coach for so many years, yet we go into a season with like complete uncertainty of what this team can be. And Deshaun Watson, maybe more than anyone in the league, like wants to put the team on his back in terms of this like playmaker mentality of I'm going to take a seven step drop when the offensive tackles make a, you know, set pass set that is suitable for a five step drop, put a ton of pressure on my offensive line, hold the football as long as I can, because I want to make a play downfield with my eyes locked down the field. So getting rid of someone like, um, De DeAndre Hopkins, uh, that is your safety blanket that we saw become like an intermediate wide receiver last year. I don't know. I mean, Deshaun Watson being a vertical passer and one of the best in the NFL at it. Now you have four vertical wide receivers or three vertical wide receivers and Brandon Cooks, Kenny Stills, Will Fuller, and then Randall Cobb underneath. This could be exciting. If everyone stays healthy, that's a big if. If Tim Kelly can call plays, which we have no idea. This is a team that could be one of the more interesting game pass views every single week as a vertical style of an offense. I would just say, if, if you're like me and you have Watson as a top five, top six quarterback and you're expecting to put up that production, just realize that someone in that group is going to need to get that production. I mean, I, I saw someone bring up the point where, okay, if we like all the, we like McCaffrey and DJ Moore and Curtis and Ian Thomas and all these guys in Carolina, why is Teddy ranked so low? And I think kind of the opposite of that is true with the Giants and Texans. We all like Watson still. Daniel Jones is a pretty trendy late round quarter. You know, he's not even going that late, kind of QB 13, 14. Trendy later round quarterback this year, but all their pass catchers are sinking behind with the exception of Evan Ingram. So I just think a situation where, again, they're being priced to the floor, ceiling's much higher. I don't know how the rule of continuity works when every player on the offensive line was bad, but all of them do return. So at least there's that. Yeah, and once again, I think offensive line gets a little – too much credit for some of the sacks and pressures given up on that offense because the quarterback does as well, but then he also makes plays that other people just cannot. All right, I will go next. Um, I'm going to go with the running back. He's ADP running back 21 right now. In our draft guide, he's around running back 18. I have him around running back 12, and you might find this shocking. Um, it's James Conner of the Pittsburgh Steelers. By, I am not in love with James Conner's game, his talents at all, nor am I in love with him entering the final year of his contract with maybe no extension in sight. But what I am in love with is his situation because he's competing with mediocre at best talents around him. I mean, the fantasy football community is getting up for Anthony McFarland when the college football world didn't even get up for Anthony McFarland. Benny Snail has had that same, you know, type of shine at some point. So did Jalen Samuels. But we know at the core of it that this team, in, and we can throw out 2019, we can throw their offensive production, and I'm sure the Steelers want to as well. But in 2017 and 2018, this offense was a one-back offense. Someone seeing a market share of the backfield touches at 70, 75-plus percent of the time. So I am banking on James Conner, being healthy for 16 games and seeing that volume of 70, 75% of the targets and, and carries out of the backfield. And if he does that, 
he's going, I mean, he's a much better value than the likes of Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones is going as a running back 10 right now. Do we expect him to see 75% of the work? Um, Austin Eckler, 75% of the work. Leonard Fournette, maybe 75% of the work. Todd Gurley's going ahead of him. Jonathan Taylor, Melvin Gordon, Chris Carson. These are just names where I see uncertain backfields and split backfields, and I want the one-person backfield, and that's why I think James Conner has it. I disagree with you throwing Eckler in there, but otherwise I think you're spot on. I mean, you look at Pittsburgh from 2014-2018. Le'Veon, 25 touches per start. D'Angelo Williams, 23. Conner was 20. Jalen Samuel was 18. Even when Stephen Ridley had to go and spot start, he was getting 17 uh, touches per start. It wasn't just a one-back backfield. It was whoever that one-back is owns the backfield. And last year, they were going towards that until Connor got hurt, and then he was ineffective. And then, you know, we had Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges under center, so you had to try something new anyway. So I think Connor's going to get every chance to run away with that job. And for the price point, yeah, why not? Because once you – again – if, if you get some early running backs, that's great. If you like the wide receivers and you find yourself in round three or four and kind of got to get a running back now, you look at guys like David Johnson, James Conner, and Dave Montgomery, where, yeah, you can poke holes in them, but injuries stay okay, which, again, you know, we got to more or less assume when we're projecting these guys, they're going to be getting near 20 touches per week. People only fail when they don't learn from their mistakes. Otherwise, it's simply education. And to make sure I didn't do the same Daryl Henderson fiasco again this offseason, I've been trying to keep note of everything and assess accordingly and make adjustments uh, per my priors. And I will say, before last week, I was actually the opposite of that opinion, Josh. I didn't right. want anything to do with James Conner. Um, can't stay healthy. Final year of contract. The team obviously won't re-sign him unless he takes a hefty pay cut, which he actually sounds like he may be interested in. But multiple beat writers also saying that the Steelers are going to cut his load back. However, you look at Roto World's news feed and Tomlin's most recent quote, and I only remember it because I'm the one who saw it and wrote it up, is that uh, I'm a featured runner type guy by mentality, Tomlin said when asked about the plans at running back. No question in today's game, a featured runner needs to be supplemented and supplemented by guys who are capable of doing similar things in case he misses time. Usually when it's going well, it's because you have a lead dog out front and that guy is the featured runner. James is a featured guy and proven runner when healthy, and we're excited about getting him back to health and displaying that this year, which tells you everything you need to know. It sets up your point. It backs up Ian's point about Steelers historically preferring to lean on one running back as a whole, yep. which tells me if Connor stays healthy, this is his backfield. Yeah, look, he, he has a clear path to 15 touches a week, 15 to 17 touches a week. And I kind of panicked and mentioned some names I wasn't planning on doing it. But, <laughs> you know, Melvin Gordon, Jonathan Taylor, like these are very talented players. But unless an injury happens, they are splitting time in the backfield. I don't think an injury has to happen for James Conner to see 15 to 17 touches a week. And I think volume is more correlated to fantasy points than efficiency is and, you know, big plays are necessarily. And so James Conner getting that volume based on everything we've just said in the last five minutes to me makes him locked in much higher than his ADP currently is. So, all right, Daigle, round out this first six for us. All right, let's go with the strong one here. Someone that I will not back down from until he is being drafted as a wide receiver one. That is my lone goal this offseason, and that is none other than Calvin Ridley. <clears throat> Currently being drafted at the end of the fourth round as the wide receiver 17 overall, and I would bet all kinds of lunch that he finishes as a wide receiver one. 
Remember that Mohamed Sanu, when traded at the deadline prior to week eight, Calvin Ridley, from that time to the time he suffered his season-ending core muscle injury, actually led the team, Julio Jones included, in targets with 49 and 653 air yards. It is a small sample size, but also in the three games that Austin Hooper missed last year, Ridley's receiving lines were eight catches for 143 yards and a score, six catches for 85 yards and a score, and eight catches for 90 yards. Atlanta has a league-high 258 targets missing from last season's production. The only team missing over 200 targets, and that's 258. So the opportunity is there. The uh, rapport, the proven rapport of Matt Ryan's there. And having never exceeded 900 yards receiving, like we still have a immense third-year breakout opportunity for Ridley because he's untapped. And I think this is the year that Ridley could potentially outperform Julio in a vacuum. He's had eight career games with at least eight targets. In those games, nine touchdowns, at least five catches in every game, at least 70 yards in every game. He's Look, it's an easy comparison, one that I made on January 22nd. Check the timestamps. 2020 Calvin Ridley is 2019 Chris Goblin. Let's all accept it. He's a great player, getting a lot more opportunity, and the same offense. And it's going to be glorious, everyone. In our draft guide, he's ranked as the wide receiver 14. We're basically all unanimous from anywhere from wide receiver 10, where you have him, Daigle Winks has him there too, to wide receiver 13, where me and Minzio have him. Uh, there is one outlier of that group. Uh, I'm not going to name him, but it, it rhymes somewhat like with uh, Lodo Matt. Lodo Matt uh, has him as wide receiver 25. He is not a 25. Wide receiver 25. He is oh, not a believer. Uh, his ADP right now is, is wide receiver 17. So basically every single draft, the other five of us enter, we are getting Calvin Ridley. But again, there is one in the group who disagrees completely. And maybe that's something we have to bring up later on this week when Pat joins us. Like Godwin last year, he will surge from the fifth round to the third round by August. He's going to be that annoying guy that everyone calls a sleeper in August. And we're like, he's not a sleeper. We all know this. But, I mean, he's in an area right now in drafts that has plenty of exciting names to it, too. Juju Smith-Schuster, wide receiver 14, A.J. Brown, Adam Thielen. Then we have Calvin Ridley. Then we have Cortland Sutton. Then we have D.K. Metcalf. Ian and Daigle, what gives you so much more confidence in Ridley among those other names? Because I can point to Thielen, who's going to get a boatload of targets as well. I can point to A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf and Cortland Sutton as, as big play threats. So why does Ridley stand out the best among that group? You can't point to Cortland Sutton not falling back from Drew Locke like he did last year. You can't uh, depend on Seattle's offense to throw the ball every single chance they get because they're a run-first team. That's what drags these players down, not their talent. It's just the offense they're baked into. Whereas we know the Falcons did a poor job drafting. Their defense arguably got worse over the offseason, which forces this team to lean on one of only two competent receivers they have on the entire roster because it ain't Lacan Treadwell or Olamide Zacchaeus. It is Julio and Ridley. Yeah, I mean, look, I wouldn't necessarily – I would disagree with people that try to put those players above a Ridley, but – it is a point where, okay, the wide receiver position is just so deep. I mean, no joke. You can talk yourself into 40 or 50 wide receivers this year. So if someone wants to take the three-down running back before taking someone like Ridley, I get it. I just think the position is deeper. But you know, just among these other guys, there's, there's something to be said for a, a wide receiver coming back to the same quarterback with just, you know, proven talent and oozes of available opportunity. Ridley checks all those boxes. Should we leave it there, end on a high, or should we go one more round? What do you guys think? 
I mean, I mean, we're going to do two more of these episodes. I think we leave it there. I think we leave it there as well. I, I think we that's, a good, that's a good. That's a good. cherry on top. Yeah. That's a good starting six players. Everyone out there should be targeting in all your fantasy drafts. Again, we'll do this at the start of July. We'll do this at the start of August, and we'll check back in. And hopefully, some of these ADPs have moved mm-hmm. along the way. Again, these are the six players that Ian Harditz, John Daigle, and myself are targeting at cost in current drafts: Joe Burrow, Carson Wentz, Chris Herndon, Will Fuller, James Conner. And Calvin Ridley. We're all over the place, too. Yep. We are. I mean, early rounders. For every round. Late rounders, two quarterback leagues, best ball leagues, standard office draft, so on and so forth. So, all right, guys. Great work. Nice job, everyone. Ian has about a thousand columns up on the website (laughs) right now. Uh, I know the homepage is basically asking the big face football questions for every division in football. Then you're going and doing shorter columns for each of those. And you're, I think, going to end up doing 20 of them. You're probably about eight or so done right now. I mean, you are on a war path to content and making us all look bad. It's, it's just, I mean, you know, a lot of people break up and they do like individual team previews that are 5,000 plus words. and Very helpful. I'm just kind of breaking that up into focusing more on the specific players. I just think it's more of a fantasy football friendly way to kind of preview the season. So I'm going team by team, three, three articles per. Uh, today's one up on, um, excuse me. Today's article is Deshaun Watson, but yeah, check it out. I tweeted out the list uh, yesterday, which is 2020 fantasy football questions and answers. You know, if you're bored one day, go through and there's a bunch of articles on one page you can click on. So hope everyone enjoys. Yep. They're wonderful. And you're all wonderful out there as well. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe, tell one friend, most importantly, rate and review us. We're kind of entering that June period, July and August is when, you know, fantasy football interest really ramps up. We're going to be doubling down around that point, but you can do your part, help spread the word, get more people involved, more people listening as well. Again, it truly does help us out. And again, our draft guide will be on stands uh, in the next couple months. Be sure and look at that. I mean, there's some interesting, fascinating columns across the spectrum, and especially... And some that um, we still need to finish. And some that we still need to finish, especially this outliers with rankings. Uh, like Pat at Calvin Ridley at wide receiver 25. All right, that's going to do it for us. <laughs> As the guys shake their head. For Ian Harditz, for John Daigle, I'm Josh Norris. Up the bell. Talk to nope. you soon. See ya. <laughs> Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.